Great, well I'm Amy Rieger and I am our kids pastor here, but every once in a while they give me a microphone and since David's out of town, we can do whatever we want. So what do you guys wanna do? Um, no, we'll, we'll stick to, to the script a little bit here today because we got some really exciting things to talk about. Um, when I was growing up, um, I had a mom who cooked. Anybody have a mom who c- cooked? Um, yeah, so those moms are awesome. You guys that, that do that in the room are amazing. Everything she made, I thought, was like this amazing masterpiece of what she had in her heart and all the things. And then I got to junior high and I found out, I realized that she really wasn't a genius at all. She followed recipes. So she would pull out her little yellow box, if you had one of those growing up, a little yellow box with all the cards inside that she'd pick one out and she'd put the things together and it would come out and it would taste really pleasant. I mean, it was just a great experience having a meal at my house. And so that's how I learned how to cook as well, with recipes. My left brain, scientific mind, that worked really well. As I got into high school, I realized, oh, I really like chemistry. Because when you put the ingredients together the way you're supposed to put the ingredients together, oh, cool things happen, right? Things explode the way they're supposed to explode. So I could cook and I could do chemistry with those ingredients. Now, We all know in the room that the best chefs are not the ones that necessarily follow the traditional recipes, right? They're the people who have this recipe in their heart and they put the ingredients together in such a way that you're like, like these amazing meals come out, like this, like you've never tasted anything so good before. I have a friend like that down in New Orleans. His name is Joaquin. All chefs should be named Joaquin you know it's gonna be good, right? And he, just the passion that he has for these recipes that he puts together, he puts his heart and his soul into this stuff and he puts stuff together that I would never imagine would even go together. I'd be like, ew, but then you taste it and it's amazing. So are recipes important? Maybe. I think what's more important are the ingredients that you put into a recipe. If you were to take a cake recipe and switch the salt and the sugar amounts, not a good option, right? Like it tastes awful if you do that. And so I think it's important, the ingredients that we put together are the important thing. We're in this series called Ingredients for Revival. And I think revival has been kind of on everybody's lips a little bit since Asbury kind of heated up many months ago. We've been talking about this idea of revival, of what God does in spaces when he kind of ignites something in a space, when he ignites something in the hearts of a group of people and how it spreads, kind of burns throughout the community or maybe even the nation. When revival happens, when God shows up in this way, Things transform, lives transform, people get freed, the gospel gets spread, God gets amazing glory in these spaces of revival. And David said last week that revival is something that we should just be praying for, like it should be one of the most important things that we pray for because when revival comes, it's when God comes, right? And there are these ingredients. We talked about last week, David talked about how Um, There are people that study revival and they look at all of the revivals and there are certain ingredients that go into revival. And the ingredients, when we put them together, we can't make revival, only God does that, but we can create an environment that's a little bit more ripe for revival, isn't it? We create an environment where we're welcoming of the Lord and anything that he would want to do in that space. 
We can't create revival. It's not as simple, he was talking about last week, it's not as simple as taking a tent and putting it up on Mount North Star. If you didn't know, the hill behind us is called Mount North Star. It's great for slip and slides and other things. But we can't just put a tent up there and invite everybody to our revival because revival is the Father's business. It's something that God sparks. It's something that he does in the hearts of, and minds of people. And when we look around the world right now, we need revival, don't we? We do. Right now, there is more dissonance. I feel more dissonance than I do harmony in the world. I feel more despair than I do joy in so many places. There's more confusion than peace. There's more in the Western world leaving Jesus than coming to him. And that statistic from last week really hit me as a kid's pastor. More people leaving Jesus than coming to him. And it can be really disheartening, right? There's more depression and more anxiety in the world than ever before. Our kids are overrun with depression and anxiety. We need revival. We need for God to show up. We need for him to bring his love and his grace and his mercy and his peace and all the things that God brings when he comes into our communities, into our own lives. And when we live in a world where information is like at our fingertips all the time, I think that creates even more dissonance, right? It it drives us to feel the despair. It drives us to feel what all the people in the world are feeling right now, confusion quickly in my mind, right? I don't know if it does to you, but it does to me. But one thing it also does is it causes my heart to burn for something better. It causes my heart to burn for something more. And that's what God offers us, something more. It burns for a move of God across the earth. Shifting the atmosphere, bringing people back to him, healing and growing and and causing all of this revival fire to to burn up the the stuff that's going bad and, and create something that is so much better. And that's what God does. It makes me long for revival. Makes me long for revival. But we have to remember that God is the one that ushers in revival. We can't usher it in. And Jesus becomes the center in revival. That's when lives change and people are freed and the kingdom of God is glorified in that. We like to look back to other revivals to kind of see what happened, but when you look at, last week we looked at the first great awakening, this week we're gonna take a look at the second great awakening. The second great awakening happened in a time that some, could be somewhat familiar to us. It might feel kind of the same, It happened back in the 1800s, but it certainly seems a lot like what's happening today. Secularism was on the rise after the the Enlightenment and after the Revolutionary War. We had a lot of secularism in our country. There was a lot of confusion and fear and frustration for the founding fathers over the Constitution and how to run a government in a nation like ours. There was infighting between uh, political figures of trying to figure out how do, we, how do we do this? Not unlike today, a little bit. It's not too hard to put ourselves in the shoes of Christians back then because there was dysfunction in the church. There was uncertainty in the church. There was kind of this uncharted territory within Christianity even. And so these camp meetings started to pop up all over the place. 
Kentucky, not too far from here. Camp meetings were popping up into Tennessee, Indiana, Southern Ohio. And a lot of things came out of the Second Great Awakening. It was the beginning of the evangelical movement. Lots of people were making decisions to follow Jesus during this time. There was the abolitionist movement that came out of the Great Awakening, the Underground Railroad. That's why we have the Underground Railroad Museum partly in Cincinnati because the Second Great Awakening came through this area. If you've never been, go, it's pretty awesome. Women's rights movement came out of the Second Great Awakening. The Salvation Army came out of the Second Great Awakening. Really good things happened during that time. And the height of it was around 1830. And what was interesting about that time is when you look at New England and what was happening up in the Northeast, um, in that space, they actually had a term for towns and villages that came under the Great Awakening where God moved in such a powerful way and there was such fervor for the word of God and the love of God that they would call these spaces burned over districts. I love that image because it was the fire of God showed up so powerfully that they were, they were burned over. They seemed to be on fire, which I love. And so now I'm gonna invite Rusty to come up because Rusty's our storyteller on staff, our resident storyteller, and he's gonna give us some, uh, some thoughts about- I like that, I like that. The Second Great Awakening as well. Second Great Awakening. How many of you have ever been to uh, Fourth of July fireworks? Seen those, right? Isn't that great? I, uh, when I first took my kids when they were little, the, um, the f- we were all positioning, and then the first, the first one, you'd hear the, you hear that, you know, everybody's looking around, then you'd see that first firework go up like that. And we were all bracing ourselves, looking for where's it, where in the other part of the sky is it going to go, another one would go off. And you know how it goes, the whole evening is so many minutes long, and it, you just see one thing after another, after another, and then, but what you're, what, you're, what you're working for is for that finale. And bang, all the kinds of colors are going up there. I want you to take a think about um, a revival like that. In the, the seasons of revival, the first great awakening, the second great awakening we're talking about right now. Right now, the whole season is like the fireworks show. And some of the things that happen, we're just like, whoa, look at that. Wow, look at that. And some of the names of the Second Great Awakening is a guy named Charles Finney, maybe a familiar name. He wrote a book during the season of uh, where all these things were happening called um, Lectures on Revival. Not a really flamboyant title, huh? But boy, did it sell well, and it helped fuel and fan the flame of what was going all across the nation. Well, in the apex, in the time when, when the, the, the fireworks were going, poof, 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 the finale kind of time, when, when all kinds of, you couldn't focus on one thing that was going on. Understand that when you're talking about the awakening, it's not just like this one thing happening in that one place, and that's that. That's why they call it this, the great awakening. It's, it's, it's everywhere. Well, you know what? In, the, in, the, in, the, in that finale moment, finale kind of times, it was said, and I've read it clearly. I've got this book. I've got lots of books, Revival Fire. Don't you just like the title of that? I like that. I read it um, in this book, during that time on the Eastern seaboard, the, pow- the burned over areas, the power of God was moving, conviction was falling on people. I mean, it was remarkable. You didn't hardly have to um, be anywhere uh, religious or hear anything where the Lord was just touching people. It was said in this time that even extending beyond the Eastern seaboard along America, out into the ocean, that ships were coming from England 
and they would get an, uh, 100 and 150 miles away from the seaboard and conviction would fall on the entire ship. And, and so that by the time they came close to harbor, the captain was signaling with flags, send a minister, send a minister. And out would come this minister. And the whole ship from the time they came within a hundred miles radius fell under the conviction of God and they were crying out for, the, uh, for salvation. This was not an uncommon experience in those types of time. It was the moment, is one of the moments where the fireworks is just one of the stories of the many. And this is our history. This is part of our um, foundation fabric in this country. Um, that we have had moments, we've had uh, times when God's not just awakening individuals, he's awakening whole regions, not just churches, the whole states. And it blew in here. She mentions, Amy mentions the, the camp meeting revivals. There's something called Cane Ridge Revival. You ever heard of Cane Ridge Revival? Right down in, right outside of Lexington. You can go see the grounds where that happened right now. I've been there several times. Just to stand in the place. I like to pray in this way. I say, Lord, I want to I be on site. Would you give me insight of what happened in this time? I want to go be on site. Would you give me insight? You know, David, David Smith, our, our pastor, he's in, he's, in, he's in Lebanon right now. Can you imagine the on site insight he's coming back with tomorrow? I look forward to hearing some more about that. So, um, yeah, reel me in, Amy. I just went away. <laughs> I love the storytelling. But the result of all of this becomes a burning, right? It's a burning of our hearts. And so one of the ingredients, the ingredient that we're gonna talk about today that you can put into the mixture that creates a foundation and an opportunity for God to move is humble prayer. It's the prayers, the humble prayers of, of God's people crying out to him to move. It's, it's, not, it's not asking God to fulfill our agenda, it's asking God what his agenda is and how we can partner with him in that. Did you know that right now in the heavenlies, there's a throne room and Jesus is in that throne room with the Father and he's interceding for us right now in the heavenlies. He's praying for you. He's praying for me, he's praying for us. He's praying for all those across the world that are his. And so what happens is his prayers then meet with our prayers. So when we go to God and we say, God, what is on your heart? What is on your mind? What is, what is it that you want for us? And we begin to pray like that. We begin, we begin to sit in his presence, not in a hurry, not just throw in prayers at him, God help me here, fix this, do that, all the things that we end up doing, and those prayers are fine. It's fine to pray for the things that we need in the moment, those that we call them breath prayers, just Jesus come, Jesus help me here, do this. How, those, are, those are great prayers, he loves those prayers, but, but sitting with God in a moment, asking him what's on his heart, the humble prayer of lament of the things that are on our heart, they join with the prayers of Jesus and then when we do that with other people, they join as well. And we're gonna give you a little illustration of what happens with a little bit of fire, because we love fire, because they're you know, burned over places. I almost set my hair on fire at the first service, which was really cool. 
So what ends up happening is you have three sets of praying here. We've got my prayers, the prayers of my heart, the things that I'm lifting to the Lord and asking him what's on his heart, and the way that Jesus is praying in the heavenlies, and then even with Rusty's heart, and as we gather together in a community and we begin to pray, watch what happens to the flame. It just gets bigger. And here's the revival. This is where revival starts, in those little spaces. Whew. Right. They're not so we can look, no they are not, we can look back at scripture and we can look at how sometimes this works and we have been looking at minor prophets in this series as well and when you look at the prophet Habakkuk, um, it, it works this way as you look at the book of Habakkuk. Um, Habakkuk was a minor prophet in the seventh century BC and he was different than other prophets. Normally God would speak to a prophet and then they would speak to the nation on God's behalf with Habakkuk, his whole um, interaction with God was actually a prayer interaction. It was him lamenting to God. It was him speaking to God. And what's miraculous and amazing, not so amazing because God does it all the time, but sometimes we think it's amazing, is that God actually spoke back to Habakkuk as well. Um, and so we're gonna look at that and how this starts out. So Habakkuk starts out in um, chapter one, verse two through four, and he is having a hard time. This is right around the time when Jerusalem was about to get sacked. Um, there, was, there was judgment coming on Jerusalem, and so Habakkuk knew this was coming, and he was crying out to God um, for his heart. And he says, how long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Now I don't imagine Habakkuk was sitting in a, a chair just like this going, Jesus, why does conflict abound? I think he was on his face. I think he was crying out to God or standing with his hands raised. I think there were tears in his eyes because the entire inside of Habakkuk was coming out on God at this moment. It was the depth, the inner depth of what was really going on in him in this lament. It was not at all scripted. It was just the cry of his heart coming out, and that is humble prayer. There were big questions and big emotions coming out in this. And so then God answers him. In verse um, six, he says, I'm raising up the Babylonians. This is not the answer that Habakkuk was hoping for, for sure. I'm raising up those ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. Wait, what? Like, what in the world? I just cried out to you to save our nation. Like, why aren't you paying attention? And God's like, well, I have a plan. And here's how it's gonna go down. Can you trust me in that plan? So Habakkuk, not so much yet, can trust God in that plan because in verse 13, he pushes back on God again. I love his boldness going before God in, the, in his heart. He says, God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing, so why are you tolerating the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? They are awful people, he's saying. They're more wicked than we are, and you're gonna allow this to happen. How on earth would you ever tolerate this? God loves an honest heart. He comes back to Habakkuk again, and this is really important what he says in chapter two, verse two and three. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. 
For the revelation awaits an appointed time. Something's gonna happen here, Habakkuk. It's not time yet. I'm moving, I'm working. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It certainly will come and not delay. Though it linger, wait for it. He's not only foreshadowing Jesus here coming, he's also the end times, talking about the end times, but there is a revelation that is coming, that God is doing something on this earth. And though it linger, though it seems like in our time, it's not fast enough, that God's not moving at our time, he's moving in his time. And he's trying to explain to Habakkuk here that you just wait, know and trust who I am and what I'm going to do because I am who I said I am. The revival is coming. It's just not yet. Keep pouring in, keep doing the things you're doing. The revival is coming just not yet. And then God spends the rest of the chapter telling him what's about to happen, and he's really inviting Habakkuk to lean in with him, to lean in in the humble prayer, to lean in in the spaces that God's just laying out for Habakkuk. He says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. That was God's last words in the book. The Lord is in his holy temple. Recognize who he is, the goodness and the most amazing ability to save and bring revelation and bring revival and I, he will do it. So Habakkuk presses in and he said, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. I love that, in wrath, remember mercy, God. I am setting a table for you, God, with my heart and my prayers to do whatever it is you're going to do, and I'm here for it. And isn't that the cry that, that we need to have in this moment? When you look across the world and everything going on in the world right now, in Israel and beyond, that, that our hearts need to burn with this prayer of, God, I'm here for it. What is on your heart right now? How can I partner with you in heaven to do the things that's on your heart, God, that I will pour out my heart before you. And I'm expecting a response from God when I do that. I absolutely respect, uh, expect a response from him in that because he's a good dad and he wants to respond to us in it. And so as we hear all of this about Habakkuk, as we hear all of this about revival, what is humble prayer? What is it, Rusty, like when, when he and I have conversations about this all the time, so bringing him up here to have this conversation I think is important because how would you define the humble prayer of Habakkuk and how we can position ourselves? Well, I think you've probably danced around in Habakkuk speaking it clearly. Humble prayer in my, in my book it presently um, and in the conversations we've had, Amy, mm -hmm. is really you come to the end of yourself. You know, you, you realize it, um, my strength is failing is not what I need. Actually, do you ever notice this when you pray? And I'm gonna to point to something that Amy has already alluded to, is that when things changed in my prayer life, um, when a question changed in my heart, I'd be praying. Have you ever noticed that I was, when you pray, you'd constantly tell God what you're thinking about? <laughs> you're constantly telling God how you feel. I, I'm, this is the anxiety of your heart is being 
going up there. Everything shifted in my life, and this is part about humble prayer is recognizing the shift. Is that, you know what? Um, I stopped and asked, started asking God, what do you think about the situations that I'm going through rather than me telling you what I think? Well, how are you feeling about this moment um, or this situation or this person rather than me telling you yeah. what, I, what I feel? There's a passage in Ecclesiastes, five-ish maybe, where it says, um, you are God in heaven and I'm on the earth. Therefore, I'm going to let my words actually be few. Yeah. Im- implying the fact that I'm going to be listening more than I'm speaking. So there's a place in being humble in prayer, hum- humility in that is just recognizing, oh, okay, it's coming to a pl- point where you're, okay, God, your resources are far vaster than mine. Mm-hmm. And here I am. Sometimes, and here's the truth, God's design over your life is to, is to allow you to walk into situations that are going to be over your head. That's just, if you haven't had it yet, you're going to have it. And it's designed in such a way to lean into and say, God, I don't have what it takes. I really don't have what it takes. And he says, that's right. And that's when you move, you push across the table to him the need that you've been trying to hone, own, and he takes care of it, and he reflects it back to you. That's where I think Habakkuk was coming to. He's like, oh, but uh, he says, oh, I've heard of your fame, Lord. I've seen your ways. Okay, Mm -hmm. let me get that clear. Let me get you back in the front part of the, uh, Mm -hmm. the prayer, rather me in front. Yeah, I would say that. And I I think too, like, would you say that the lament usually starts the prayer? That's often how we get into that space with God is there's something burning on our hearts that we just need to get off our chest. (coughs) And then how God kind of shifts that as we stay in that space. Yeah, I agree, I agree. I don't know that lament is always the place where we start, but it definitely works the muscle of the heart to say, I'm out of my element here, Mm -hmm. or I don't understand here, God. And then he, and it invites you to stand in it. Though it linger, comes the word to Habakkuk. Though it linger, wait, wait for it. Yeah. I, I'm the one with the answer. I'm the one with, though it linger here, wait for it. It, it has an appointed time. I like, we used to joke around, uh, God's speed is very different than your speed. <laughs> Don't you get that? Someone once told me, he says, Russ, you know what God's speed, you know how fast God moves? And I was like, great, tell me. He says, about three miles an hour. <laughs> I said, what? He says, that's about the length that Jesus was walking with people. He says, yeah. that's about the speed that God went. I thought, okay, there's lots of application to pull yeah. from that. But. That's not good for me because yeah. I run way too fast, too hard, too, too often. Um, so how do, we, how do we do that? How do we stay in it? How do we um, position our hearts in such a way? That's, that's kind of what's on my heart is like, if we're going to do this, if we're going to pray this way, what are the most important things to think about as we're kind of praying this way? Yeah. And you had a story about somebody who did that. Yeah, I did. There's a guy um, out of this book here, Revival Fire, <clears throat> named Jeremiah Lamfrey. Now, he, in the context of, of the Great Awakening, all the fireworks going on, he was in the finale. He was one of those that was going off, going on right here. You wouldn't have picked it out singularly, but it was all in the context of all that was happening in these days. Jeremiah, he was a businessman in, in New York, and he felt especially moved on his heart to start a, uh, just to start praying for, the, for, for um, his city and for the people around him in the noon hour. So that's when my business, I can take a lunch hour. So he made some flyers out, went around, to a, to a warehouse or two, 
passed them out and began on a certain Wednesday afternoon. He prayed the first half hour by himself, and when he, by, he ended the last half hour with six other people who had just shown up, had found the flyers. And as they began to pray, the next week they came back and did it again. This time there was 20 or 30 of them in the room. And after that, they said, let's go every day at the new hour. And it started to build, and it started to grow. There was an amazing sense of the presence of God on it. People were coming who didn't know Jesus at all. And before the hour was done, they were giving their lives to Jesus. This became known <laughs> as the noon hour, noon hour revival that was happening in the midst of all this. It went through various different cities all over the place. In fact, um, inside of six months, just about every major city in America had a noon hour prayer. Cincinnati, it's in that book, had an explosion of that yeah. very same thing. I'm like, oh, so good. Lord, 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 Lord. <laughs> Insight, I mean, being on site with insight, sometimes you got to stir yourself up with the story. Mm -hmm. You got to remember. You and I have a very short memory, and our news cycle is so quick, too. You don't have to stand in what is Lord, renew yeah. them, oh God, in our days. Renew them in our times. We're fortunate. We've actually standing on geographic space where some of those things have happened. Yeah. Yeah, so we do that here. Um, we have two days a week on Tuesday and Friday where we do a prayer room set where um, Abby and John and various musicians will come up and they will sing and pray. And it's an hour in this room um, where we just pray. We just ask God what's on his heart and we pray back what we hear to him. And we wanna invite anybody, everybody to come to that and be a part of that because friends, here's what I know to be true and here's what shifted in my life in the last two years, three years. Um, my prayers used to be very business oriented, very like, let's tell God what's on my heart. Let's um, do that real quick because we got to check that box and we got to move on to the next thing because I was a very busy person. And so it was hard for me to find extended time of prayer. Um, and I read a book, I think it was, might've been like John Ortberg or somebody said, um, I'm too busy not to pray. I'm too busy not to pray. I start my morning with an hour of prayer in the morning because I need God throughout the day. I need for his direction to lead me. I, I, I can't do this without him. And it started to shift my thinking. And for someone like me, and I don't know how many in the room feel this way, but like the type A personality that like, man, I gotta keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. This has been a complete shift in my life to learn how to sit in the presence of God in prayer. And it takes some time. It takes some effort, it takes some learning how to do it, um, because we're not used to it. So anything new is gonna feel awkward at first. And so when we think about this, you've gotta take time. It's going to cost you to be at the foot of revival. It's going to cost you to be in humble prayer, because it takes time. That's my passport. You don't wanna know why my passport's in my pocket. I'm not going anywhere. But it takes time, it takes a space, create space. It's one thing to pray in your living room when everything else is going on in that space, but find a closet, find a place for you to pray where you can be alone with God. In the back, we teach our kids prayer caves for that very reason. We have them get on their knees, put their hands over their heads so they are in their space with God. It creates a space where there's this one-on-one -on -one interaction happening in that space and take the time, stay in it. Even when you feel you're done, make sure God says you're done before you get up and move, 
right? We gotta stay in this space of prayer um, for a longer period of time than we typically do. And so like on Friday, we just did this. They started out singing prophetically about just listening to the Lord, about Lord, what's on your heart? And we ended up the entire rest of the prayer room praying for Israel because that's what's on God's heart right now. When we look, there's other things on his heart too. He has a very big heart. But that was one of the things that we recognized was on his heart and we began to just pray into that. The entire room was praying into that situation. And so going off of that, we wanna do that a little bit this morning. We don't wanna just say, go do it. We wanna say, let's do it right now. Let's pray. So, so with that, let's call the band back in and um, I'm gonna set, lay down some sound in the background. And for the next few minutes, I know we're just a tad over, but this will be right. Friends, you and I have both, the last week or so, you, you were not allowed to, to not see what's going on in, in Israel. And the war that's gone forth and uh, ah, the challenge, and I know you felt it. And I don't know if uh, you have felt like me, but I ran out of things to pray. <laughs> I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. Um, but we want to take some moments here as a group, as a, as a people, to pray for that. Because this, this is exactly what Habakkuk, he was standing in that land, receiving from God in that space. Um, I think it would be a wise use of, of minutes to just ask the Lord to break in with power. Break in. You know, often when there's great challenge, there's also a, a surge of revival that happens there right now. I don't know that this is the wrong thing to ask. Lord, in the midst of great challenge, may your spirit uh, pour out. There's lots of things to pray. So we've, given, we're gonna, we've put a few prompts up here to pray with. And I'm going to encourage you, um, as the music begins, we're going to spend a few minutes just going to linger in that. You might want to get on your knees and pray. That's what I'm going to do up here. I'm going to call us back in just a minute or two. Or you might want to get in no more than two and pray some of those thoughts. Um, let's do that. In fact, let's... Or any other thought that God brings to your yeah, mind. Because right. this is not an exhaustive list, for of sure. Course. This is just to get you started. That's right. And then listen for the Lord. Ask Him, what, what do you want me to pray, God? How can I join my prayers with the, the prayers of Jesus to reach the throne of heaven in a way yes. that moves, that moves the heart of God? Because we, as His people, we move the heart of God. You move the heart of God because you're His kid. That's and so right. when his kids come together, we can move his heart. And so let's do that. Let's do that. I'll call us back in a moment.
Jesus, we bless you. We don't stop our prayers. We bless you. Thank you that you neither slumber nor sleep, your word says. Your word says you take no pleasure in the death of those who don't know you. God, stir up your spirit in your people in the land and out of the land who know you. Comfort those who mourn. Protect those who are in the eye of the storm. We love you, God. As the band leads us into their, the last, uh, this last song, I'm going to invite you forward. Maybe you just want to stay there and pray. I appreciate you enduring. That didn't that was a few minutes, maybe longer than we go, but I appreciate you with endurance, praying. Praying has that kind of elasticity to it. We must pursue and must stay at it. So you stay there if you want to stay there. I'm totally, that's right, and that's good. But I'm gonna also point you to the, to the body and the blood of Jesus, and we celebrate with communion on either side and in the back. Perhaps it makes a little bit different picture in your mind right now that in the land where bodies and blood are being broken, this is where the body and the blood was poured. <clears throat> he saw that too. I'd invite you, come maybe with a new eye, a new place before the Lord. Take and eat. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this until I come. And for those who are on the prayer team, those who are prepared to pray, I just invite you to come up here around who can. And we'll invite anyone who wants to take a step further. I need some prayer. I want a revival to stir up in me. I want to pray further for these moments that I'm in. I don't know how to pray at all. Any and all questions I come, let's pray. And I'll come back up in just a minute. I'll invite you forward. Why don't we all stand? Let's all stand and worship, and I'll come back and close us in just a minute.